Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everyone. Shep Hyken here on Amazing Business Radio on the C-Suite Network. Very excited today because we have another amazing show James Dodkins is going to be talking to us all the way from the UK, from the United Kingdom, where uh, he has been working with companies to create outstanding and unforgettable customer experiences, which is everything that we're about here on Amazing Business Radio. James travels the globe learning the secrets of the world's best-performing companies, and he uses that information to help organizations replicate that success. And he's going to share with us ideas today on what we can do to replicate some of the success that he's had and he's been working with uh, and learning from these other companies Obviously, I mentioned he specializes in customer experience, but the word that intrigues me in his bio is the word customer centricity. That's a pretty big buzzword for the last couple of years. It's been really, really hot. And uh, he's been working with so many companies doing this. He wrote a book about uh, two or three years ago called The Foundations for Customer Centricity. Foundations for Customer Centricity. And you know what? Before we go any further, his name is James Dodkins, and his website is www. James Dodkins, D-O-D-K-I-N-S dot com. And uh, he's informed me that you can just download that book as a PDF at no charge. I love that. Is that right, James? That is correct, Shep. Thank you. Well, welcome to Amazing Business Radio, and thanks for this wonderful gift of the download of the book. And all they have to do is go there and put in their information. Boom, they get it. No charge, no hassle, no fuss, no muss. That is so customer-centric. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, you know what? It's even better than that. Um, for the for foundations for customer centricity, they, they don't even have to put in their information. You can just have it. Really? <laughs> um, even easier. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Because yeah. if they love you, they're calling you back no matter what. Well, exactly. That's that's sort of the point. I mean, the the idea behind that book was really just to try and get a message out there and just to to share as much information as I could with as many people as I could. I, I never wrote it to make money, and subsequently didn't <laughs> which, which was fine. Um, i didn't write it to make money and uh, as a result i haven't <laughs> yeah. I like that. Um, but the the relationships that it's created have been well m- money can't buy them so so that that worked out really well well we can tell you're an awesome dude just by you know your your the uh feeling of abundance the the law of abundance where you give and give and give and you know what if it comes back and it comes back to you in the form of a relationship you do have another book coming out later this year and i love the title of this book put your customers second and that's coming out in about a month or so month and a half yes um so this was um a weird weird culmination of of a lot of things really i again i never really wanted to write this book (laughs) Um, and so, so my core message throughout my entire career, doing the training and the consulting and the, the speaking, has always been put your customers first, put your customers first. And I kept seeing every now and again these little snippets of companies that openly say, well, actually, we put our employees first. And I kind of didn't really want to believe that because it went completely against my my core value as a consultant and a trainer and a speaker. But it was just one day I saw... Uh, an interview with Richard Branson, and he came out and said it. And it's, it's 
I'd heard it hundreds of times before, but he said, put your employees first, your customers second, and your shareholders third. But for some reason that day, I heard it completely differently, and it made me think completely differently. And so I did a little bit of research. I started researching other companies that take this philosophy, companies that focus on their culture, specifically with the goal of creating outstanding customer experience. Um, and of course, I started talking to more people about it. And, you know, hey, presto, I've got a, another book coming out that people can, can read the, the information that I've, I've managed to find from, from these companies. Right. And I think the, the big uh, reason to put the customer, uh, well, put the employee first, customer second, is what's happening on the inside of a company is felt on the outside by the customer. Yeah. yeah you can't, you know, be angry and mean and nasty and then say, now go out there and be nice. Be different yeah. than well, be different than, yeah. than me. Don't, don't treat them like I treat you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's that whole thing of treat your employees the way that you would want them to treat your customers. And, and I, I, it was even in the, the, the first book that I wrote, I was saying, well, look, you can't make a happy customer with an unhappy employee. And I'd say that, but I don't know whether I'd ever, like, really thought about that properly because I was so focused on customer first, customer first, customer first, that when I started doing this research, it was a real eye-opener for me. And in, in the process of, of doing the research for this, it's completely changed the way I think about culture and customer experience and customer centricity completely. Well, I'm going to go a little backwards here because I originally in my notes wanted to talk to you about your book, Foundations for Customer Centricity, uh, and then get into this new book. But but while we're here talking about the new book, give us some of the nuggets. Give us um, give us some of that research that compelled you to write the book and, and change your way of thinking. Well, in the, it's not finalized just yet, but the companies I've been researching are people like Google, Zappos, Virgin, WestJet, Southwest Airlines, Quicken Loans, uh, Lego, Ritz-Carlton, uh, Whole Foods. And not all of them are necessarily going to make the final cut because I do want to make sure that the people that go in there are specifically creating this culture with the end goal of creating outstanding customer experience. Um, and I'm, I'm getting a lot of really unique content and contribution from a lot of these companies as well, which is great. So I've been reaching out to them and talking with key people from those companies. But really what it boils down to is what, what I'm calling VATQUIRE, which doesn't mean anything at the moment, but it's an acronym. So it is vision, alignment, capabilities, workplace, incentives, resources, and empowerment. And it's those seven elements that you need to get right in order to create a customer-centric culture, in order to create a culture that will deliver unforgettable customer experiences every single time. All right, I want to go through them one more time. Vision, alignment, go ahead, that was one, two. Capabilities. Capabilities. Workplace. Workplace. Incentives. Incentives. Resources. Resource. Uh, I like the way you say it, resources. It's resources where I'm from. <laughs> what? Just kidding. I, I, I don't want to play the, the British card, but I think you'll find we invented the language. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you are absolutely right. So you know what? Uh, let's let's just take a few minutes and and run through these real quick, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Real quick, vision is that creating the customer service vision? Like you know, you mentioned Ritz Carlton. We've talked about this on the show. The nine words were ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about with vision? It goes deeper than that for me. It's it's having a core understanding of who your customer is what their expectations are, what their needs are, and what their successful outcomes are, and aligning your mission, your vision, and your core values around the delivery of those things, making sure that your vision is a customer-centric vision and it's the right vision for the right customers. Um, And really, once you've got that down, making sure that everything you do within your company is guided and managed by those values. Right. That's, That's beautiful. You know, and and I know I've mentioned this before, uh, and you're from the U.K., so let's talk about the Beatles, right? Uh Uh-huh. And the Beatles had a vision. Uh, Do you know what that vision was? Three words. Go for it. Bigger than Elvis. Everything they did was focused on being bigger than Elvis. So when they uh, wrote a song, is this song going to help make us bigger than Elvis? Is this tour to Hamburg going to help uh, give us more visibility and make us bigger than Elvis? And that yeah. was their, their their focus. And a company, can, if they can get that much clarity, um, you know, Southwest Airlines, is this decision we're making going to keep us the low-cost, friendly, provide, you know, I don't know what their exact uh, vision is. Yeah. But, but that's what Herb Kelleher, when he was uh, sitting around the table listening to ideas from, you know, people that were, in, you know, worked out in the field, you know, let's, or should we consider this? Well, will this make sure, you know, does this further us in that cause so i love that so that's vision and alignment capabilities well i mean just back to the vision part for a second if you don't Mm -hmm. mind because i think it's it's possibly the most important part because if you get that wrong everything else sort of falls away and it's, it's one of the things i personally really like doing with companies um it's almost creating a mission vision and values for each experience that you um deliver or each service, if you want to look at it that way, for each different type of customer. And what what I refer to it as is a successful customer outcome. So in each situation, what is that successful customer outcome? And you need to ask yourself constantly, um, is what I am doing right now contributing towards a successful customer outcome? And if it isn't, why am I doing it? So what I love to do is help companies basically align every single task and activity within the organization Mm. towards the delivery of a successful outcome. And that's a that's a great way, to, and that that's the vision and the alignment piece almost. Oh, I got so, it. So it's a little different than creating a a mission or vision statement. It's actually taking each individual, um, you know, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, interaction and analyzing, uh, are we managing it for the optimal experience of that customer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, don't give me, don't be the 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 overall sort of macro vision is the thing that's going to guide everything else. But I feel that you need both things. You can't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. So big vision, micro vision. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, so you've hit one and two, we're going to hit the other five real quickly, and then I want to go back to the foundations for customer centricity because I think, again, the word customer or the phrase customer centricity has become a very hot term over the last couple of years, and I want to dive into that just a little bit. So we have been talking with James Dodkins at www.jamesdodkins.com where you can download the book Foundations for Customer Centricity at no charge without even having to put in your email address, 
This is really cool. I urge you to do it, but don't do it till after the show is over. Uh, but right now, we are going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. If you like what you're hearing on Amazing Business Radio, and I know you do, then you can get much more of this information. All you have to do is go to my website, hyken.com. That's www.hyken.com. Fill out the subscribe to the shepherd letter form, and each week you will get an article that contains a business tip, stories, much more, all about customer service and experience delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to always be amazing. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with James Dodkins. We're talking about his book, uh, the new book coming out, uh, Put Your Customer Second. And we're going through these seven steps. Uh, we went through vision alignment, and uh, we still have capabilities, workplace, um, uh, incentive. Am I, can I read my own writing? Is it incentive? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, resources yeah, and, and empowerment. So let's go ahead and touch base on uh, the three through seven. Okay, no. So you've got your vision, you've aligned your processes and your experiences to deliver that vision. Now it's the capability, making sure the people actually within the company are skilled enough to be able to do that. Now that's either upskill or find skill. Um, but it's also looking at the way that you hire people as well. Once you've got this new vision, a new understanding of what you want the company to be, maybe your hiring practices have to change as well. Um, there's so many companies out there that have got really, really interesting ways of hiring people. Um, Zappos is one of those. And um, if there's time at the end, I'd, I'd love to tell you the story of how they look at hiring people. Oh, I know. I, I love the story too. We, you know, yeah. So let's see if we have time at the end. But go ahead. So that's capabilities. Uh, yeah, workplace. So next, yeah, workplace. Again, you can have people with the skills who are doing all the right things, uh, aligned towards the vision. But if the place they're actually working in is a dark, dingy hellhole, <laughs> then they're still probably going to be quite miserable. I mean, if you look at people like Google, they spend a hell of a lot of money making the environment that the people are working within a, a great place to be. Um, so that they are the most productive possible at work so they are the happiest at work possible because of course i mean it's a bit of a no-brainer but the happiest employees are going to make the happiest customers so are we are we talking about putting foosball tables and ping pong tables and pool tables in the middle of the break room or is it is it more than that it depends and it, it all comes down to how you've um sort of defined your vision and your values um if your vision and value is about fun in the workplace, um, people getting together and blowing off steam. If it's about creating great relationships between employees, then yeah, maybe that's the way to do it. But if it's something different, then no, maybe that's that's a complete different way of doing it. The neat thing about this is that there's no one way to do it because, of course, everybody's values are going to be different. Everybody's vision is going to be different. Um, the things that they want to create and the experiences they want to deliver are all going to be different. So this this is just a framework to give you the ideas of, okay, this, this is what I need to think about to get right, not the this is you should have a, a rock climbing wall and ball pools and, and crazy things like that. Right, right. Sounds good. All right, so we move from workplace to incentive. Yeah, so... This is actually a massive part. There's um, there's no point, for instance, think about a call center. There's no point talking to the people on the phone saying, guys, the customer is the person that pays your wages, they feed your kids, they put a roof over your head. 
without the customer we would have nothing we all agree that the customer um, has to be treated like family blah, 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 blah. however remember you've got to get your average handle times down you can only use three minutes on the phone it's making sure that people aren't paid to do the wrong thing if you pay people for doing really stupid things they get really smart at doing it so it's making sure that people are put together and paid for the delivery of those successful outcomes not for the not for just doing tasks and activities not just for how many phone calls they've answered in a day or how many forms they've filled in making sure that people are working together in order to deliver successful customer outcomes and they're paid for doing that and it's not always just financial incentives as well it could be the, the recognition of work and making people feel valued, taking them on trips. It could be anything, but basically whatever aligns towards your vision, incentivize them to do those things. Right. I love this line you just gave me. i got to repeat it back to you because I want to make sure. You, you have good people doing stupid things. They become very smart at it. <laughs> if, 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 you, if, you, if, you pay, if you pay people for doing stupid things, they become very smart at doing them. Doing stupid things. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Holy cow. That's great. All right. Uh, resources and then empowerment. So uh, resources, that's an interesting one. Yeah. So, again, it's, it's one of those things where people have to have the support on hand or possibly the budget to be able to do the right thing. So uh, to give an example, let's say somebody's called in, uh, something's gone wrong, something didn't get delivered on time, and you know that you're waiting, they're waiting for that for their wedding, for example. Like, people should feel that they can get in touch with someone and say, hey, will you send these people a bunch of flowers to apologize for this? Like, have that support and the budget to be able to do that and not leave them frustrated that they, they can't make things right. Um, let them understand that if they want to give away um, a product for free, they can do that. If they want to discount something they, they can do that there is there is the budget there for them to do that as long as they can say well look i was doing the right thing for the customer then that's they've got to have those resources available right i like that that's that's perfect um the empowerment now this makes uh comment this common sense to me you know let people do what they're supposed to do give them give them the opportunity to show them where the line and the sand is and get them right up to that line but you know teach them to, to go that far Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, for, for me it's a case of as long as they understand what the successful outcome is they are there to deliver let them do it just let them know this is, the thing is the empowerment piece none of this would work if it wasn't for the empowerment because people would be paralyzed by fear so you're telling them do the right thing do the right thing do this do that but if they if they don't believe that you've got their back they're not going to do it they need to know that as long as they're fulfilling that vision if they're sort of ad- adhering to those company values they're, they're not going to get in trouble for, for what they do they need to know that the leadership is there to support them not to control them they need to know that the company is going to really stand behind them for their decisions but again yeah you're right saying well look you can't just give give them a million pounds if, if their delivery was late um but it, it's let, letting people know that when you do these things, it's an investment in the relationship with the customer. It's not a cost to us. It's, a, it's, a, it's an investment in the relationship. So you, you can make decisions on behalf of the company. You're empowered to do so. Um, but the thing is, it's, you can't have any one of these things without that. You need all of them to make right. this work. Right. If you're missing part of the puzzle, uh, it's going to create a flawed experience. Exactly. All right, so let's go back uh, and spend a couple of minutes talking about your 
your first book, The Foundations for Customer Centricity. I love the title. Um, And one of the things that uh, compels me to want to talk to you about it is I know that prior to getting into the business that you're in now, uh, you were working for an insurance company. And you made a comment to me right before we started the interview that um, you love the company because, and I'll let you fill in the blank. Oh, it was, we, we would, <laughs> we, we weren't a bunch of insurance executives. We were just a group of people thinking like customers. I love that. We were a bunch of, a group of people thinking like customers. I mean, yes, you were a bunch of insurance people, but what's different is that you weren't thinking like an insurance person. You were thinking like the customer. And by the way, there's a balance, whether it's insurance or you sell something, manufacture something, there is always a balance between having that expertise in that particular field and being able to think like the customer, which is uh, all about customer centricity. So give us a quick little background on this book that you've said you would generously give to all of us if all we did was go to your website. Well, for, for me, the um, what it was, as, as I was getting more and more into this stuff, of course, I was working with companies and we were improving customer experiences and improving internal processes to make them more customer-centric, et cetera, et cetera. But many a time when they implemented the changes, when you get back in touch um, a year or two later, things have gone back to the exact same way that they were before. And I'm thinking, well, why? That was Everybody was so sure that that was the right thing to do. And what I started to realize is that look, we, we can't meet the future by doing what we did in the past. And there's a very big thing that's holding us back, and that is the structure we work within. So if you think of the structure of any organization in the world, what shape do you think of? Uh, a pyramid, starting at the pyramid. pointy top with the CEO, executive, owner, whatever, going all yep. the way to the bottom. Yeah, exactly. And the further up the pyramid you get, the more important you are. Yet, who are the people on that pyramid that actually deliver the customer experience? The front line, and they're at the bottom. Yeah. So the message to everyone is the further you get away from the customer, the more important you are. The closer you get to the customer, the the less important you are. You've got to think as well in these organizations, who are the people that are paid the least? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Many times it's the customer service people. Yeah. So we take our most precious resource, our customer, and we give, give it to people who are paid the least, valued the least the least skilled, the least invested in in our organization. But the only reason we do it that way is because of the way that we draw the chart. The question is, what is the one thing that is missing from that pyramid? Tell me. Well, it's the customer. Oh, yeah. How can you be customer? Exactly. It's it's so simple. How can you be a customer-centric company if you don't even have the customer on the map? Just think about it. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't. It, we don't have to think about it very long. And we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, I want to just uh, touch a little bit more on this concept. Uh, we've got to put the customer into the pyramid. And uh, also, I want to share with you one of the first books that I read on customer service. And actually, it was an article that I read. He eventually wrote a book on it. was by Jan Carlson, who talked about yes. flipping the pyramid. So when we come back, we'll talk about flipping the pyramid. We'll talk about customer centricity. We'll talk more about uh, putting your customers second. This is Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. 
Shep Hygen here. How would you like customer service training anytime you want it or need it, day or night? Well, with Shepherd Virtual Training, you will have world-class customer service training at your fingertips online 24-7, 365 days a year. Just go to www.sheponddemand.com. Once again, that's sheponddemand.com. And remember, always be amazing. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio on the C-Suite Network talking with James Dodkins. And, uh, James, we were talking about uh, – I, I mentioned to you Jan Carlson, and he flipped the pyramid where he, he, the CEO, president, whatever, was now at the bottom. Even though it did come to a point, he put his front line at the top because he felt they were most important. Obviously, they're they're focused at that point directly face-to-face with their customer, which happens to be the passenger of Scandinavian mm-hmm. Airlines, which Jan Carlson was president of. Um, and is that what you're talking about here? Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. Jan Carlson's great. I mean, the book, book Moments of Truth as well, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. Brilliant. But you know what? The world has changed a hell of a lot since then. Mm-hmm. And I'm not about I'm not about flipping the pyramid. I'm about destroying the pyramid. So let me, let me explain. Okay. Um, the way I like to think about it is like a soccer team, or if we're being correct, it's football team. But I'll, right, <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll we'll now, stick with soccer now, team. So, so, but we did invent American football. And guess what? Yes. You guys are starting to pick up on it because I think uh, the owner of the Manchester United uh, owns a football team over here and is trying to get football uh, over to the U.K. Yeah, I mean, it comes over um, every now and again. And I, I support a team called Aston Villa, and one of our old owners used to own the Cleveland Browns. Hey, team. there you um, go. I, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, in De- I'm in Detroit right now, um, and uh, I actually watched the Lions at the weekend, Go Lions. Yay. <laughs> but, wow. But, um, so thinking about a soccer team, this, this is the way I like to think about it. Mm-hmm. So if you think about a soccer team, if you think about the, the game itself, who is the customer? Uh, who's the customer? If you're thinking about the game, are you talking about like the fans in the audience? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah exactly. So the spectators, the people mm-hmm. that come and pay the money to watch the game. And what is their successful outcome from watching the game? If their team wins. Yeah. So perfect. First two questions answered. Who is the customer? What is their successful outcome? Now, it's the manager's job to put a team together of different core competencies and different specialisms who are best suited to deliver that outcome. You would never have a manager or a coach put a team out that is just 11 strikers or 11 midfielders or 11 defenders or 11 goalkeepers. You wouldn't do that because it's not Mm. conducive to the delivery of success. But that's what we do every single day in our business we put all of our sales guys together. We put all of our process guys together. We put all of our marketing guys together. We put all of our finance guys together. We put all of our compliance guys together. We separate them by skill. We don't separate them by ability to deliver customer success. So the way I look at it is that we need to put teams together, experienced teams with different skills and different core competencies who are best suited to working together in order to deliver that customer success. The the problem is we've kind of made like a Rubik's Cube out of our organizations, treating it like a pyramid, um, where every single department has its own color. And of course, the incentives we give them are to get the most tiles of the same color together on one side. So the red department, the blue department, the yellow department. So the red team's there. 
working to try and get the most red tiles on one side of the Rubik's Cube as possible. But of course, while they're doing that, what are they doing to the blue team's work? They're taking they're taking away. They're they're not focused on it. They it's not a team sport at that point. It's it's very yeah, screw- siloed, if you will. Yeah, so they're just screwing up the blue team's work, and then the blue team's working away to try and get all the blue tiles, and they're screwing up everyone's work. The point is, if we took a step back and said, hey, guys, we're all going to work together to complete um, the entire Rubik's Cube together, the way that they would do work would be very different. The point of this is, when you put teams together like this, the way that they behave becomes very different. So you would never get a striker or an attacker Um, in a soccer game, seeing another attacker about to score a goal, he wouldn't run over to him and say, oh, excuse me, could you wait there a second? I'm an attacker. I'm only trained to take shots. I need to transfer you to a defender who can make the tackle. That that wouldn't happen. Not in real time. No. No, he would try in the experience to make it right because Mm -hmm. everybody's working together to achieve that successful outcome. They're not being targeted for the amount of passes they make or the amount of tackles or the amount of shots. Yeah, they look at that, and it's very interesting. But if you imagine you could target um, the defenders to make seven tackles in each game, you could target the midfielders to make 11 passes in each game, you could target the attackers to take 12 shots in each game. But all that would happen is, is the defenders would pass the ball to the opposition attackers to give them the highest chance of getting a tackle, The midfielders would stand and pass between themselves to get their pass rate up. The strikers would just take a shot at goal no matter where they were on the field as soon as they got the ball because, of course, they've got to get their shot rate up. And it's creating those behaviours that are not conducive to customer success. It's the understanding that those things are important, but they are secondary to the delivery of customer success. And we will never consistently deliver customer success until we consistently measure the things that deliver it. So for me, in, in a soccer game, that's the, the goals. How many goals have you scored? How many goals have we scored? Mm. So it's understanding who the customer is, what is their successful outcome, what is the team that's best suited to deliver it, and then how do we measure the delivery of that success? Great analogy. I mean, if your striker, the, the guy that shoots the ball, is down in the defensive end, and every time he gets the ball, he's measured based on how many shots he takes. Uh, I think, you know, shot takes and and percentage of balls going in well the percentage of them going in from way back at the other opposite end of the field is probably not going to happen you know one of the things i'm a big hockey fan and uh, mm-hmm. it's one thing to have shots on goal but it's another thing to have uh you know uh, uh, there's another stat that basically measures what the real goal opportunity was you know to, it, it, so what if the goaltender stops 30 pucks or 30 shots uh, how many of them are true, real opportunities that would have gotten by the goaltender if the goaltender yeah. wasn't so skilled? So anyway, we look at it, and again, uh, another great message, which is that you you got to measure it. You can't manage what you don't measure. All right, we're almost out of time. And uh, just once again, if you go to jamesdodkins.com, and you can download the book Foundations for Customer Centricity, and I know you're getting ready to uh, – you're taking names, if you will – uh, if you're interested in the new book, which is Put Your Customer Second, as soon as you have your first few chapters ready to go, you're going to release those at no charge, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, all, so all, all you got to do is let, uh, is, is let them know how to reach you, how to get you the information. Yeah, just, yeah, just um, again, on, on the front page of jamesdodkins.com, um, you'll see there's a, a cool picture of the cover and there's a little explanation of the book. Um, what wasn't mentioned about the book is that it's in story format, so it's, it's quite engaging to read as well. So it's about a young executive who 
goes around trying to learn this stuff from the companies. Um, but yeah, just drop your email in a box and as soon as it's ready to go, I'll send it to you. And of course, I'll let everybody know when it's ready to sort of buy if they so wish to as well. All right. So we're running out of time, but I just know uh, you've got you've got stories within the book. What's your favorite story? Probably how oh, there's so many, but probably for me, the, the one at the moment, which which I keep wanting to tell everybody is about um, Zappos. I the love Zappos. Brilliant company, brilliant company. I spoke to some great people from there. Um, <laughs> one of the ways they go about hiring people is, again, making sure that they, they're a good fit for the values of the company. And during the training, no matter where you are going to sit in the organization, whether you're an executive or whatever, you have to spend time on the phones actually dealing with customers. Um, because as Tony Shea says, it's, it's, it's very difficult, difficult to fake four weeks of actually caring about the customer. But the neat thing is what they tell people after their first week of training. So there's four weeks in total. After the first week of training, they say, look, if at any point you feel that you are not the right fit for Zappos or Zappos isn't the right fit for you, we will give you $4,000 to quit. We will pay you to quit. And the, <laughs> the reasoning behind that is it's... They, they don't want people just there for the paycheck. And then if somebody's there, yep. ah, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do as good a job as I think here, but I need the money, so I'm going to have to stay. They don't want them worrying about that. They say, look, we'll give you some money. We'll cover, <laughs> cover you for a month or two so you can go and find a more suitable job. But if, if it gets to the point where you feel that this isn't for you, let us know. No hard feelings. We will actually pay you to be honest with us and leave. Now, there, there are some people that will take advantage of that, but good because they don't want them at the company anyway. Right, and you know what? I don't I believe the, those people will get through the hiring process. If I think there's exactly, ways to find exactly. that out, so the, very few people take uh, Tony Shea up on his uh, opportunity. Although he encourages them to do so, if, because he really is sincere. Like you say, we really don't want a person here that doesn't fit in or doesn't really want to be here. So that's a great story. Mm -hmm. And so this book is filled with those types of stories. Yeah. Yeah, some great lessons, great lessons. All right, we're down to the one thing question, and this is where I ask you, what one thing do you want everybody to remember that you've already talked about, or is there one little extra nugget of information that you absolutely feel everybody needs to know before we finish our interview today? Uh, just, I guess culture is everything. Oh, yeah. Culture is everything. Give me a, a little bit more on that. You know, I, Peter Drucker said, uh, culture eats strategy for lunch. I believe it was Peter Drucker. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so give me a little bit more. Culture is everything. It's more of a case of, look, if, if you want your employees to put your customers first, it's your responsibility to put your employees first. It's your responsibility to create that culture, a culture where people can thrive and do the right thing. Um, and it's it's an interesting one because it's a bit of a paradox. Like because you have to put your employees first, but you also have to put your customers first. But in order for that to happen, you need to put your employees first. First, if if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you have to do exactly. So that's the first step. And perfect way to end the the program. It's kind of we started a little bit about it. It's all about what you're about. And uh, again, the book. To download Foundations for Customer Centricity at www.jamesdodkins.com. The new book coming out. 
put your customer second. That'll be out probably in about a month and a half or so, two months, but you can get the first three chapters uh, as soon as they're ready just by uh, sharing your email information. James, such a pleasure to, pleasure to have you on the show. You're awesome, man. Great insights, Thank great you. information. And I will. I hope you're, you're in the United States right now. I hope you make it to St. Louis sometime or I get over to the U.K. and we can connect because we will have a whole lot to talk about. Definitely. No worries. Well, thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks so much. And everybody, you've been listening to Amazing Business Radio. And as we like to always end every show, reminding you until next time, and why not beyond next time? How about forever? Just remember to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.